You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Comedy Seller Show here on Sirius XM Channel 99. I'm here, as always, with our producer, Periel Aschenbrund. Periel Aschenbrand. One day soon we'll get well, that. Brand. Not always. She wasn't here last week. And uh, No, I sometimes I forget to announce her. And, uh, of course, my, my partner, Mr. Dan Natterman. Hello, Daniel. How do you do? Uh, and uh, we have sitting in with us uh, just uh, impromptu uh, Josh Johnson, one of our favorite comedians. Hey, how's it going? And our absolute guest of honor, Erica Komisar, is a psychoanalyst, parent, guidance expert, and author of the award-winning book, Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. She has been in a private practice in Manhattan for over 30 years, and she is currently working on a book about the challenges of raising adolescents in an age of anxiety. Welcome, Erica. Thank you, Noam. Now, full disclosure, uh, Erica and I met on the podcast like a year and something ago, but then we kind of become friends. So uh, I can't be I can't be as uh, difficult and contrary and as, uh, as yes, you can. interrogative yes, you can. Well, I would as think I would normally that, uh, be. You're allowed. You're allowed. I would think the opposite is the case. Usually when we're comfortable with someone, it's at that moment that we can start really I challenging agree. them. Certainly I am not shy about telling Noam he's full of shit when, when that's uh, uh, appropriate. So, I also feel like you can't help yourself. No, I can help myself, actually. So, listen, this is the thing. So, it's, it's, it's the beginning of school. So er, Now, Erica does not only deal in issues regarding children... But that's a specialty. So today I'm having terrible anxiety because my daughter, I think she might have ADD. Whatever it is, she's not, she's not like a fish in, a, fish in water when it comes to academics. She was stumped today for like an hour on the homework assignment that just said, Say what are two things you hope to get better at this year in the third grade? Why are you laughing, Josh? That's how it's just. You know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just you're describing me, so I'm just like, oh man, this is exactly what. And and I and I vacillate from being a little bit hard on her, which she doesn't react that badly to, to feeling. Terrible guilt that I that I that I don't want to demand from her something more than she can do. On the other hand, having some intuition about that she can do more than she's doing, and also knowing in a certain way it's also about me that I'm getting mad. Meaning, like I I want her to do better for me than necessarily for her. So you, you must you must deal with well, things like yeah. this. Just well. if I could just preface this by saying yeah. that ADD, if that's the worst thing that ever happens to this child, you should count your lucky stars. My God, I know parents with kids they 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 they're they're nonverbal autistic. Uh, they whether it be a drug, they got drug problems, eating disorders. They, they just grow, plain stupid. Their, their kids grow up to be a comedian, try, trying to make a living stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah. All sorts of things. Your child has sl- 
perhaps ADD. Listen, she's and also really agitated. pretty, right? If she's really she's pretty. pretty. She's, she's like exceptionally social. good looking. Uh, 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 listen, if I had to trade places with your so parents, far, I would is. not. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I'm going to say that that ADHD and ADD is overdiagnosed, and um, and basically ADD or ADHD is a sign of stress. It's a symptom of stress, and the reality is that the schools expect much too much, um, particularly public schools, interestingly enough. Private schools expect less at a young age, but public schools are very tough, and they expect a lot of the kids at a very early age, and sometimes too much. And there's a real push to push cognitive skills early and to push... Um, academic advancement really early. A lot of kids are learning causes, Chinese these days, too. Well, that's the problem. So, Nihao ma. Yeah, and the problem is that, oh, that the kids are stressed, and stress causes symptoms that look like ADD. So, so you know, before do you, you... do you Are you involved in diagnosing ADD or ADHD? So she would need what's called a neuropsych evaluation. But, but what are the symptoms, I, especially for girls? I would not jump to the conclusion. First of all, it's unusual for girls to have ADD. Um, and what I'm hearing is that she is stressed about school and no, that they're she... asking something of her that's making her fearful and anxious and anxiety. And I'm going to say some learning issues can produce symptoms like ADD. Okay. So I'm no, really careful not to diagnose ADD. So I don't see I don't see any stress in her whatsoever. It's part of the reason that I get so mad. I'm like, why do I don't really care? Like she she doesn't she doesn't seem to care. Now let me let me not bash my daughter. She's a very good reader. Right. One of the best. <laughs> Which is a huge thing to just pocket and not acknowledge because so many children who have trouble reading and this is a lifelong yep. curse. So she doesn't have that. She's a terrible speller, but I was, I continue to be a terrible speller. She doesn't do well in, she's, math doesn't come easily to her, and that bothers me because it, it, it did come easily to me. But the, the thing that bothers me most is that I just can't get her to sit down and just do her work, work that I know she can do. How old is she now? Seven. So seven-year-olds are supposed to be playing more than they're supposed to be doing schoolwork. Oh, we don't let her work. play. Right. That's the problem. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm going to say that, that for the most part, she's trying to tell you what she needs. And the school is fighting what she innately needs, which is she needs more play and less schoolwork. And the school is saying, listen, at seven years old, in our day, you didn't even get homework yet. You're not supposed to get homework. You're not supposed to. In third grade? N- you know, I'm yeah. pretty she's, sure we got homework in third grade. I remember those times tables don't learn themselves. No. <laughs> <laughs> Homework was coloring in the lines. No, we definitely sure. had, I remember third grade, long division. My mother No, would, not long division, third grade. Oh, yeah. the hell, well, maybe not you, you, but I had long division, times, tables. You, you must have been in the advanced math class. No, everybody had it. <laughs> Eric, isn't it true that a bunch of studies came out recently saying that homework really doesn't have the effects that they thought that it had? Actually, yeah. the best teachers in public schools that I've worked with are mm. ones who don't get homework. Yeah. And Leave actually her alone. Teach, She's fine. Yeah. She needs to play more. And I'm guessing that... I'm sending her more yeah. bows. So, she plays all fucking day. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, what she's that's, what she's, that's what she's supposed to be doing. Um, and she, if she reads, you're already ahead of the curve. And, you know, the reality... The reality is some people relate more to, to letters and some people relate more to numbers. And it sounds like you relate to numbers and it's really hard not to impose on our kids who we are or the mistakes we made or the pain that we had. 
Um, Can't you just be a real estate agent, worst case scenario? Yeah, sure you could. What you're saying is something that, it, you are touching on something, and I, and I said it, but, I, but I, I really do understand it, especially being Jewish, I guess. It's, it's such a buildup of how important this is that I reacting with, from that, and I, and I don't want to react from that. So like I had, you know, you know what the word nachis means? No, no, uh, not, yeah. not at all. Nachis is like a, is is like this like a delicious feeling of joy, pr pride, pride. It's pride. pride. Not joy, pride. Like being proud of your children. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, we had a barbecue at my house the other day, and Dan was there, and I asked my kindergartner, I said, "What's six plus six? He said, twelve. And then I asked him, I never asked him before. I said, "What's seven plus seven? And he said to me. Well, that would be two more, so 13, 14. He, he knew that I added one to six one to six, and one to the other yeah. six. That was two. He added... I mean, I, I've been riding that high for a week. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly. Like, this, was, this yeah. was every Jewish dad's dream, you know? And I'm like, well, that doesn't make him a better person. That doesn't, I can't help it. Can I just say, though, yes, I think that <laughs> there's a, a silver lining in this that your daughter seems to be bad at the things that you're good at. So you can actually be around to teach her those things and help her those things. Well, my, as opposed to like your daughter actually being bad at the things you were bad at. Because now there's like this offset that I think is a is a chance to connect on a thing. As opposed to like like for instance when I would when I would bring math because I wasn't good at math and my dad wasn't good at math and I would bring math to my dad, he would panic. And then he'd be like, "You weren't good at math." I was not good at math. That makes I, me feel better. Yeah, yeah. I was. Here's the thing. I wasn't good at math. Also, Words were my thing. Reading is so like, just because of the structure of school, reading is on your own. To me, I'm not an expert or anything, but it's so much more important than any. Like, if your pastime as a kid is reading anything, yeah. then you are miles ahead because. There's well, also he said she can read. He doesn't say she enjoys it, reading. It, well, it's not a passive, but she, but she, she, like this summer, I had her reading a little bit every day, and she read, I don't know, seven, eight hundred pages over the course of the summer of books and from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I should count my blessings. Who gives a shit about math anyway? I'm also Why do they I'm give? You know, you were talking about homework. Homework is, we can make arguments whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Summer reading lists are an outrage. I used to remember. Did you ever get yeah, those? Yeah, that's true. How dare they give kids shit to read during the summer? Uh, what, what were you going to say? When Arca? they should be playing. Well, forget about playing. I, I mean, yeah. I talk about to high school kids. Yeah. That's outrageous. Get your fucking hands out of my summer. <laughs> Dan, let Erica say what she was going to say. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say that um, math is important, but the, the, the truth is, she might just relate to, to letters more. She might be a writer. She might be a therapist. She might be an artist. Oh, um, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, she also, but she also tunes but, out but a little one, bit. But one yeah. thing I'm going to yeah. say is that we put a lot of pressure on kids, and we also put a lot of blame on kids. And what I'm going to say is it's not about blame, but really if she's not learning or enjoying math, you have to look at the teacher and see how that teacher might be teaching math. Well, it's first day of school. <laughs> yeah, so there are creative ways of teaching math. And then you have to say, right, is that teacher really a very creative and playful a seven-year-old wants to play, and if you can't teach them through play, which is experiential, you're not going to get through to that seven-year-old. Maybe there's an unusual kindergartner like your son who 
likes doing his, yeah. you know, times tables he's, or his addition. Maybe an outlier. Yeah. But, you know, the reality is kids need play um, to learn. They need the experience of play to learn. So the pressure might be on that teacher to be a better teacher to teach that child math. So I did have one nice moment, then we'll get on to other things. Yeah. So I was hard on her today, maybe more than I'd ever been before. Not because she wasn't getting it right, because she, was, she, was t- she wasn't speaking to me nicely and she was... Um, being uh, just very, very uh, oppositional. And I was pretty hard on her, and I felt bad. So, th- so we went through this, and I raised my voice to her. And then I said, okay, I have to go to work. And she's like crying. She said, Daddy, don't go to work. And I said, I'm going to cry myself. I said, Dad, I said, as hard as I was on you just now, you don't want me to go to Stockholm work? Stockholm Syndrome. No. <laughs> <laughs> I said, as hard as I was on you, you don't want me to go? She said, no, I don't want you to go to work. And then I felt a certain vindication that my relationship, that I'd created a very, very good relationship with her thus far, that she took this hardness in stride rather than withdrawing from me because of it. So that made me, that made me happy. Well, also, where can kids bring their aggression if they can't bring it to their parents? So where yeah. can she bring, if she's stressed out because she just started school, yeah. and you're saying she doesn't show it, but clearly she's stressed out. So if she's stressed out because she just started school, where can she bring her bad mood and her aggression and her anger and her fear except to you? So what she did is she brought it to you. And, yeah. you know, that her vulnerability sense. after just proved that she was really just feeling vulnerable. And sometimes as human beings, we get aggressive when we're vulnerable. When we're frightened or we're overwhelmed, we get aggressive. It's, it's, a, def- it's a defensive response. Is that yeah, why she, d- go ahead, Josh. Oh, she just might also be annoyed because, uh, I mean, school interrupted her summer. That summer could have lasted yeah. forever. And then school came out of nowhere Absolutely. being all boring. You know, and then even you to your point about the teacher, it's like this teacher is I don't know how big the child's school is, but like the teacher has to teach so many kids and they've come up with in their mind the most baseline in their way, maybe fun way to get across the message and everything. So then they're also probably being a bummer. The the best case, one could say that she's she's not stimulated because the work is too easy for her. Now, I suppose that's like saying a woman (laughs) is is afraid because she's so in love with you. Uh, and, and she's pushing you away for that reason. I mean, it's an excuse, but every now and again, it's valid. <laughs> well, anyway, no, I, I think, anyway, so, so, so let's get on to the, the other day. So Erica wrote a uh, column in the Wall Street Journal taking uh, a presidential Democratic leading contender Joe Biden to task for, um, or actually the opposite. He's saying Supporting he was him. right, but for, but, for, uh, but for not sticking up, for sticking, standing by his guns. Uh, for previous opinions about daycare. So you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so basically, Kirsten Gillibrand attacked Joe Biden in the debates and um, about a 1981 piece that he wrote about why government-subsidized universal daycare for all shouldn't be universally subsidized by the government um, and why it would contribute to the decline of the family. And basically, he was cornered by her because all of these candidates are now proposing universal government-sponsored daycare, and I, as you know, Noam, really disagree with um, universal daycare. Um, and daycare is very problematic as a form of childcare um, in terms of you know what it does to children's uh, emotional well-being and mental health. So he, because they're stripped too young from their yeah. Yeah, basically in the first three years, 85% of your right brain or social emotional brain is, is growing and it's very dependent on the environment, meaning it's dependent on 
the attachment to your primary caretaker, your mother, usually it's usually your mother, uh, sometimes now it's your father, but whoever is your primary caretaker uh, is necessary to buffer you from stress from moment to moment, to regulate your emotions from moment to moment, but basically to provi provide you with a sense of emotional security. So when you put a child in daycare, and we're putting children in daycare as early as six weeks, um, we're basically stripping away that stress buffering. We're, we're exposing them and their brains to stress too early in the separation from the... So just think of a, a neonate's brain as being incredibly fragile and neurologically fragile. And we need the environment to be secure, to be uh, emotionally and physically present for us, um, to protect us from stress. And we're exposing these kids to too much stress, and now it's having an impact on their mental health at a very young age. So what made me think, one of the, um, you know, when they find that children do better uh, from breastfeeding, mm -hmm. one of the arguments you always hear is that, well, that's not because of the actual milk, it's because of the experience of breastfeeding. It's because of the attachment. So yeah. this is the actually the, the, the ultra opposite of that. Right. It, you, you don't even have the breast, you have nothing. nothing. You're in daycare. Yeah, and imagine that the the average ratio, so, so what's recommended for children under the age of one is a one-to-one -one, um, caretaker to, to child ratio, okay. So you put a child in a daycare and you have no less than five to one, usually eight to one. In some countries, it's 12 to one. That means there's one caretaker, one daycare worker that's caring for up to eight children under the age of one. Um, well, is that what Biden's proposing? Or not Biden, that's but what uh, Gillibrand. under the age of one? Oh, all of them. Yeah, Gillibrand, um, you know, they're all Elizabeth Warren is really big at universal mean daycare. Mandatory. That just means if you absolutely need daycare, the problem, it will be available to you. The problem is that if they put money into universal daycare, they're not putting money into things like paid maternity leave, which allows mothers and fathers to stay home longer with their children, and things like um, giving the money to families to spend as they would like. If you want to provide families with money for, for care of their child, let them give that money to their grandmother or their aunt or an extended family member. I'm for that. Um, yeah. So the idea is when you put monies into universal daycare, you're taking money away from the family and taking the choice away from the family of how best to care for that child. We, we used to pay my mother-in-law, uh, right. but then she uh, asked for a raise, so that was that. Was that but yeah. no. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. no, so it, I defend <laughs> Joe Biden, actually. I well, but what him. about the, the idea that give, just giving people money, they may not spend it wisely? At least this way we know that they're spending it on daycare. That, that or that they're spending it, at least this way we know they're spending it unwisely. <laughs> well, no, it, uh, not unwisely compared to the alternative, which is uh, no daycare at all with parents that simply don't have time to necessarily Joe spend Biden, daycare. Joe Biden wasn't saying no daycare. He was saying daycare for the poorest people. But he was saying that if we institute universal daycare for all even middle class and upper middle class people, and we're basically providing them a daycare, we're actually discouraging the connection between mothers and babies. And I agree with him. So can I, can I zoom out? And you may have something to say about this too. So it seems to me, I don't want to get in trouble, that we're suffering as a society because we don't want to push back in any way on certain politically incorrect ideas. One politically incorrect idea is that it's better for the mother to be home with the child when the child is young. We would like to say, well, every mother should be totally unencumbered and she wants to, you know, drop a baby and then go out to work and have a career, that it's sexist 
to to say that well you know God was not fair about these things. Similarly, well, I don't, but I don't think Eric has said that. On, Eric just no, wants somebody I'm, I'm, at home. I'm, I'm, right, but right, but it, but generally it is the mother. So um, similarly, uh, we're not allowed to comment any longer about the fact that fatherless homes are a really bad thing. One in four families don't have a father in America. So you have yeah things like school shootings, uh, the rise of white supremacy, violence. I mean, I think I'm pointing at him. I can't help it. Like six, <laughs> si- 60% of black children grow up without fathers. In, yeah, in, in, yeah. And, and also incels are like a, a bit of the whole father not being in the home, not having a male to sort of guide you through your well, that makes puberty. It. And so there's all these things can be, a, I mean, certainly what's going on in Chicago with all it's got to, we know that there's a lot of kids there uh, with, that are, involved in this who don't have fathers at home we know this mm-hmm. but we're not allowed to say listen stop having we need fathers and and you know don't indulge yourself and it's wrong so what is that what, what's your comment well interestingly your, it's it's uh i don't want to interrupt you but it's interesting that we can talk more about fa- the father issue the father issue is actually quite hot right now mm. um and it should be because as i said one in four families don't have fathers and fathers do a really important thing for children particularly little boys they regulate little boys aggression so we see a lot of violence we see a lot of um, behavioral problems, particularly in little boys, a lot of early signs of aggression. And the first thing I do as a clinician when I'm treating a family is I ask, is there a father present? And is the father who is in the family, is he present enough for that child? Can, um, because, yeah. Can a woman take on that role? I'm speaking, of course, of, of, of lesbian Lesbian marriages. Speaking of oh, lesbian marriages, I'm sorry. Lesbian marriages, and and if there's a son, can a woman take on the role that you just described, i.e., channeling the youngster's aggression? Um, it's just, in, I'm well, so sorry. So then, Is it possible? Can I answer the thing just yeah. before you guys? Because I have to run. Go ahead. To, go go ahead. But basically, I do think that. Uh, as unpopular as it is, that you have to address every once in a while in certain cases that like nature isn't a feminist. Like nature is just, it is what it is, and we can fight it if we want, and maybe we can come up with better solutions. There's irrigation for farmers, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you can displace things and we actually end up better off for it, but I think that this is one of those instances where I'm glad that there's as much of a, a conservative presence in America as there is a liberal, because sometimes liberal can go so far and left unchecked, people are starting to say like crazy things. And then there's also that side of conservatism that goes so far that no one is checking in on like, hey, does anyone is anyone worried how anyone feels? And I do think that this is one instance where I would love to see more people think that dads are important because it's also it, it it bleeds a little bit into the debor- the abortion debate sometimes where it's like it's i it's my body my choice which i completely understand and agree with but it's also treated as if if i want to keep this baby you need to step up and take care of your responsibility and you know and like be there for me and for the baby also if i decide not to keep the baby there's the door and it's a, it's a hard thing as a human being to be left in that limbo of either I am essential or I don't matter at all. And I think that some people are just opting to like, well, if you don't think that I matter in any case, then I'll just decide not to matter. Because it's also easier. You're talking about young people who are like getting pregnant by accident and everything. And then they just sort of 
move on, you know. So a lot of the, it's not as if all of these unpresent fathers are dead, you know. A lot of them are around, and a lot of them it would surprise you who they are. Like I have a friend who is with his girlfriend now that he got pregnant and everything. And they're gonna stick it out for the child and everything, but he actually had got another woman pregnant in the past, and they were just hooking up. And then she met someone that she really cared about, and she was like, "Hey." I need you to back off. I want this guy to be like the father of, of the child and everything. So he did. I would have never known that story had he not told me because people sort of carry those weights and don't really say anything about it. Actually, a lot of fathers are not incentivized to Now father. he's just going to drop that bomb and run. <laughs> I just got a quick spot. Josh Johnson has Come to do a spot. But, you, but, uh, but I would let, like let, you to let, get let, back. Let her, let her well, but she never answered my question she about the She will. Let her respond immediately to Well, so to answer your question, mothers and fathers are different. And no one knows I feel this way, and it's in my book, because biology is different. The, the difference in terms of the nurturing hormones in men and women um, that, that affect men and women's behavior means that there's a difference. So now that doesn't mean that a mother can't learn to regulate a child's aggression or a father can't be a sensitive, empathic nurturer, but first we have to recognize there is a difference. And the difference is that there's a hormone called oxytocin, and oxytocin impacts nurturing. It is the nurturing hormone. It's produced in women when they give birth, when they breastfeed, and when they nurture, and when they nurture, it makes them what we call sensitive empathic nurturers, meaning it makes them tune into a baby's pain and distress. Whereas when fathers nurture, it's produced in them too. It comes from a different part of the brain, and it has a different impact on their behavior. Instead of making them sensitive empathic nurturers, it makes them playful and tactile and stimulatory in terms of play, throwing the baby up in the air, tickling the baby, encouraging exploration and resilience. So it actually has a different impact on their behavior than it does on women's behavior. So, but does that mean that a father can't learn to be a sensitive empathic nurturer, which helps to grow the right or social emotional part of the brain? He can, but let's admit that there's a difference. So we're really big in our society on genericizing, making there, there's no difference between uh, like gender neutral. And the truth is that it, we can be equal, men and women, but we can also be different. And the differences are amazing in terms of raising children. Fathers are critical to children in a different way than mothers are critical, um, but they're both critical. So then we say, you know, if you don't have a father, someone's got to step up to that role. Um, if you don't have a mother, someone's got to step up to that role. We need fathers and mothers. Is there even a better system? Maybe we could have a father, a mother, and another mother. Or like all these you different could, combinations. What's the uh, ultimate listen, best listen, combination? The, the more love you have in life, the better. But it's really critical that you have a primary caregiver. And that's usually, as Noam said, is the mother. It's not always. But you have to have your, that's your go-to person for emotional security. And there's a very famous psychoanalyst named Margaret Mahler who said, you need someone to emotionally refuel from. You need to be able to go back to that person and emotionally refuel, and that's how you go back out into the world and explore. You're always touching base with that person. Now, um, I have to say, in my home, I'm pretty sure my wife would agree with this. I'm the more nurturing parent. Yeah. I, I think that's... I think that's... Um, I think she would agree with that without being Well, insulted. Noam calls his kids, and I've witnessed it. By the way, we're joined here by Steve Fabricant. Because I want to talk about birth order, Sometimes too. known as outside Steve. How you doing, guys? And he's a dear friend of ours and also a, a, a works here at the Olive Tree. Um, birth order. No, wait, well, wait. I just wanted to quickly say that Noam calls his, his son sweetheart. Uh-huh. That, don't, I, don't blow my spot. I, I know. <laughs> I know Noam is nurturing. Uh, I, I did is. not grow up with a male that calls his son sweetheart. Really? 
No, and I don't think I sounds to me unusual. Or sweetie, not sweetie. Now I have a joke about how we we, we just assume that every family is like our family, and then I go on to talk about how I was at my friend's house for Thanksgiving, and I said to him, "Hey, your this these potatoes are undercooked. Your mother's in for a beating later." <laughs> but that's an old joke that I debuted on Conan twenty years ago, but. The point is, is am I wrong or is it weird to call your son as a father's sweetheart? There's nothing wrong with it. I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. It's not weird. Is it weird? (laughs) No, it's not weird. I'd say is it unusual. Whether there's something wrong with it is a separate question. It's more about you than it is about me. Why do you think it's weird? I don't, weird only in the sense that it's unusual. It may be perfectly healthy. But you've got to admit, it's probably unusual. Uh, weird and unusual are I don't not, think are not synonyms. So. Is, is Noam an unusually sensitive and loving father? I mean, I think that the one good thing that's come out of all of this questioning gender and sexuality is that there it's on a spectrum. So we know that men can be more feminine and sensitive and we know and that's a good thing. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa. Wait, and we know and we know that women can be more masculine and express aggression and be out there and so you know it's on a spectrum but I would say the one good thing that's come out of it is that fathers are more deeply connected to children and more affectionate with children and more sensitive to children's emotions. So that's that's a that's been a good thing. That's been a good change. So do you remember society. the opening scene of the Link, the movie Lincoln, the Spielberg movie? Mm-hmm. I, I vaguely remember. But isn't it with Lincoln lying down with his son, hugging his son? So apparently Lincoln was a very uh, he was he was also I think the more affectionate. I can't yeah, yeah very affectionate don't father. Don't me, but the more affectionate of the two in the 1850s. Yeah. So it's not exactly uh, it's, the, it's not totally new. Dan. The, the truth is that there is some speculation. Of course, that Lincoln was homosexual. <laughs> All right, Dan, you got it. It's true. There is speculation. Uh, but uh, but uh, in any case, um, so do, do you have it? Do you want to talk about birth order? Do you have opinions about birth order? In terms of okay, Steve is the see. I, I'm friends with everybody in his family. His yeah. middle, the middle child in his family was my college roommate. Uh, the I'm older, the, the older child uh, is uh, is a judge who I'm friends with, and the youngest child is here. Wait, first of all, when you said birth order, I thought you meant the privilege of having children, like in China. Nothing. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so uh, and the middle, the middle child, his, yeah. his brother Don, insists that everything about him is dictated by the fact that he was is a neurotic middle child, and that Steve's kind of carefree way of going through life is because he was the and spoiled. A little, yeah, a little young. spoiled. I think yeah. there's some truth to birth order and characteristics, uh, meaning the oldest child often is a responsible child For and sure. feels parentified, and the youngest child is often babied and given more privileges, and the middle child suffers the most if you have three, and sometimes if you have four, there are two middle children. I think middle children have the hardest One time. Thing and what, what about only children? Well, only children have um, advantages and disadvantages. I would say the advantages, you get all that attention and you have your parents in a very unique way. The disadvantage is that, you know, having siblings is the greatest fall from grace. It's a really important thing because it helps you learn things like conflict resolution, uh, which is probably the biggest um, thing that you learn from siblings. It helps you to get on with other people. Um, and to learn that you can be in conflict and get through it and still love the person. So, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages to being an only child. Well, so, one thing I see with Noam is, I don't want to say dictatorial, but <laughs> he's got sort of a my way or the highway attitude. Might that be 
related to the fact that he is an only child? He, he's the I, I, boss. I think and she gave you your answer already. Yeah. Yes, Dan. He's spoiled yet responsible. By the way. Also, the youngest children can be bossy. I mean, youngest children can be bossy and oldest children can be. So, you know, it, there, there's a loose connection between these things. But for the most part, um, yeah, I would say well, it's One thing I've noticed anecdotally, I've read this in the literature, and I've noticed, I've noticed it anecdotally, is people in the arts and comedians... There seems to be a disproportionately large number of youngest child here in the comedy business. That I have noticed anecdotally. Now, Steve is not a comic per se, but he's he's in the comedy world. He's got a comic comedic spirit. And incredibly funny. He's I I find him quite funny. But I know that I'm the youngest child, and I know that many of my colleagues are the youngest child. We're not. Uh, we don't have any other comics here to, to ask that, but that's been my... Uh, well, Neil Brennan is the youngest Brennan. Yes. Uh, although... You met Neil on the last podcast. I did, yeah. I did. Well, you know, as the youngest child, I'm also the youngest child, and as the youngest child, again, you get a lot of attention, and you also, um, you know, in a way, you, it, you're special. I yes. mean, you really are special. You're but the I... last, you're special. You're special as an only child, too, but, but I you're felt, special. I felt I have clear memories of feeling... Okay, they paid attention to me because I was cute, but there was more to me than well, just cute. I had something to say, goddammit, and I think that's manifested itself in my desire to be a comedian because when you're the youngest, everything you say, you just see a little kid. Who cares what, they, you know, their opinion is, they're cute and all, but they're not, you know, taken as seriously because they're so young. And I, I do believe that that had some effect on my own need to be heard. And to be respected, and I will be respected. <laughs> Take it you, easy, then. I'm sorry. You wanted attention. Uh, you, you, obviously, I wanted that's attention. why you got into entertainment. That's why. I got, the now there's other things at play. Obviously, that you know, I'm, I'm. There's many things wrong with me, and we can't attribute all of it to being the youngest. Did child. you read that in Erica's expression, or are you coming that to your own? You have to be the, yeah, I mean, the squeaky wheel. I'm, as the youngest of a large family, you have to be the squeaky wheel. Otherwise, you don't get attention. So you get attention and you don't get attention. So you've got to, you know, you got to squeak loud. So I as a comedian, you're, you're go squeaky. Go ahead, Steve. You say what? I, w- I would sit at the dinner table as a child, and everybody would have an adult conversation. And as like a four-year-old, I'd be like, I want to say something. Yeah. I want, like, yeah. literally, I said that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then my father, ine- what, and my father inevitably would throw me out of the out of dinner, <laughs> almost every night. <laughs> that's not that's not good fathering. And and because that's of it, I had, I had a slight eating disorder because I knew I was going to get thrown out of dinner, so I had to eat quickly. <laughs> and I would choke, I would choke on the food because I was. And I would spill the so milk. So you had the sense to eat quickly, but you didn't have the sense to, say, to stop saying, I want to say something. I wanted attention. It was worth it, yeah. I guess. And you, and you did have an eating disorder, right? You finally had to go to the doctor for that and stuff. Uh, I, I was looked at, but I just had to take more bites and smaller bites and chew more. He, Steve and really got it in good because apparently his, his parents bought these glasses. You want to, the, 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 the drinking glasses? I had little baby hands and, the, and these plastic cups that were huge. I couldn't wrap my little hands around it. Was it was these cups that had a high center of gravity, right. so they're easy to tip Just over. A little, yeah. <laughs> so he would and every day I would spill it. And my parents, it didn't occur to them to get normal cups you know, that I could grab, actually. And, uh, and you get thrown would, out of the dinner my father had My father had a very short fuse, and he'd throw me out. And uh, that was That's my childhood. Horrible. It's clearly it's traumatic really if you remember traumatic. since you were four or five. It's not. It wasn't. I don't know. I, I, have a I don't qu- think I'm trying. I have a question for Erica that is very relevant. Your to- last three are very good here, by the way. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, 
that is very relevant to being a comedian. Steve, well, you're not a comedian, but you're in the comedic you orbit. Mentioned you mentioned that, yeah. You don't have kids. I don't have kids. Uh, Jim Norton, I'm looking at over there, doesn't have kids. Many of us don't have kids. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. Um, Kevin Brennan does. And yes, he does. Uh, is there any evidence yeah. to suggest that having kids is a good move for anybody in terms of happiness? It's not for everyone. Is it for anyone? It's, it is for many people. People do but it because they're everyone. supposed to do it. Wait, let's just pause and introduce Kevin. Kevin, this is Neil's older brother, Kevin. This is Erica Komazar. She's a. That's my intro now? <laughs> no, no, we were just talking <laughs> about Neil. Rude. Neil was on the podcast with Erica last time. I've met your brother. When? Uh, like a year or a half year ago. ago. Oh, on yeah. your podcast? Yeah. But oh, right. she, she, um, she's oh, a psychoanalyst and she also does, uh, she, she's an expert on child rearing and. All issues, children, and you have children, your brother. Oh, and Neil was complaining about his childhood? Yes, but go ahead. He was? Uh, I don't know. Just, just take, a, take a breath. He, so, so we're talking about, does, Dan asked, does having children make somebody happy? So go ahead, Erica. Happier than they would otherwise Happier be. Happier than they would otherwise be. It depends on the person. I don't think everyone should have children. I think probably more people have children that really haven't thought about how difficult it is to have children and to raise children, not to have them. It's not difficult to have them. It's difficult to care for them and to raise them and give them what they need. And I think probably more people, if they really knew how difficult it was. I mean, I wrote that book because I wanted people to know that it, it maybe isn't for everyone. Um, if you're going to really give children everything they need. And it's it's rewarding for many, but it's not for everyone. So Kevin, Kevin is a, hey, Kevin. Oh, no, I'm ta- I want to tape this. Oh, we're, in, case, in case there's a lawsuit. We, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, I tape everything in case people are like, you said, I, I'm like, I did. We're, it's we, on the videotape. You know, we're also line. recording it. But anyway. No, I know, but I won't, I, I don't, I don't love serious satellite radio. All right. Anyway, you, you have nine children in your family. Yeah. And, uh. So, w- you and, personally and, have nine children or you're from a family He's from of a nine family children. of nine. Yeah, yeah, I'm one of ten. Okay. I have two of my own. And so what do you think? Has Kevin children made you? And, and let me just, and him and his, uh, I can say that him and his wife have been separated and then back together and separated. And you, now you're back. But together. you said that's normal for Hispanic people, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you said, quote unquote. You said it's pretty normal for Hispanic people. Should I be recording this? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm just quoting what you said. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not speaking I out of turn. I did not say it's yeah, you normal. You specifically said it's normal for Hispanic people to, to break up for a while and then get back together. I don't recall saying that. Like the the Capistrano, uh, whatever, those birds, those fucking birds that people always like to talk about. Just to be clear for the listeners, uh, Kevin's wife is Hispanic. Kevin, of course, is Irish. Oh, yeah, good, good. Yeah, he's, he's right. My so wife's Hispanic. Have, have, I'm very white. I'm very Irish. Has having children been a joy for you, Kevin? <clears throat> Would you? That, well, since school starts tomorrow, yeah, I love having children. <laughs> but yeah, the summer's been miserable. Summer's miserable. Why my is it kids, miserable? Because my kids are home every day. I mean, they, my kids are so kids are so dumb. They think they you, that you want to do what they want to do. So my kids want to watch like kids shows. I want to watch porn. So we watch. Ki- oh come on! No, we com- doing material. No, we Stop compromise it. and watch kitty porn. So. <laughs> How would you, you, you be serious? That's please. a joke, Joe. I just came up with that. No, but my kid, my my son's like, Dad, what do you want to go play basketball today? I'm like, I, listen, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. I my dad hung out with me not once probably, because we had, we played with each other. But I got to play with my kids now. That's the one thing that people don't understand now. Like, people have small families, so you got to hang out with your kids a lot. And it's fucking, it's not, it's brutal. 
It's brutal. Like, I love my kids, but it's fucking brutal. The hours are fucking brutal. No, you don't even fucking deal with it because you got like a, you got like two wives and a fucking baby mama <laughs> and you got the mother-in-law living in the house. You don't even do your own fucking laundry. No, I'm not coming down on you. I'm just telling you what you've told me. So you you're, like, you're like, I can't get clean socks? I'm like, motherfucker, I do, I do everyone's laundry in a fucking house. The only part of what you just said is that is true is, is that everything I, is that I that I don't do my own laundry. Yeah. So and yeah. like like then what do you do? Will you just sit around in your fucking in your king's chair and people well, come over and well, fucking serve you, you did stuff? Did you sit down? Aren't we friends? Why? Yeah. I, no, I love you. But I never but, heard never had this kind of man. No, I just I just did chip. I'm a little wound up. Can I get? Can I get my uh, volume down a little bit? Yeah. yeah. I, what, what, what Kevin is referring to is that Noam does have a nanny. And I believe his mother-in-law lives in the house, or did. And then there's, you know, there's others that, that come along, um, grandmas and so on. And that's cru it's crucial when you have kids. You need a lot of hands. You need people just doing shit with your kids so you don't have to. You know, the studies show that it's easier to play with your children if your parents played with you. <laughs> and it makes checkmate. It's we say it. We say that the behavior is generationally passed down. Doesn't mean that you can't be playful with your children, but it's easier if meaning if if. No, play, listen, listen. But you're talking about books. I'm talking about reality. I'm yeah. saying when you're one of ten, you're dead, and the next door neighbor has nine kids, yeah. and then down the street have twelve kids. You don't play with your parents. The parents weren't fucking involved. No, I don't know why I'm yelling at you. If the parents <laughs> She's were, used to it. She's the, the parents, the parents <laughs> weren't involved. The parent, but now the parents are involved. You got to get set up play dates. You got to fucking take your kids everywhere. It's fucking miserable. Like I love my kids, but it's fu raising them. It's fucking miserable. And again, Noma, Noma's the one percent, so he doesn't fucking deal with it. Okay. Anyway, this is, this is where anyway ten sold out shows tonight at the comedy cellar. This is where you're 100 percent wrong. <laughs> I do. I deal with all of it. I'm with my kids all the time. I get up in the morning. I take them to school. I'm. 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 They sleep with me every night. I can't even get a night's sleep because they. They come. My. My daughter will come in in the middle of the night while I'm sleeping. She go like I'm chill. Like hit me in the back. <laughs> I look at. She goes, Come on. Like every night, I have to go sleep with my, my son. The other day, I was. I was taking a nap, a yeah. summer nap. My son hit me with a wiffle bat to see if I wanted to play wiffle ball. Like, fucking ISIS don't even treat their front. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, how dumb is he? He's like, hit me, woke me up with a wiffle bat. He goes, Daddy, we're going to go play wiffle ball. I'm like, no, you're it's insane. It's the greatest sign of huh? flattery. It's because he wants to be with you. No, my, son, I, my son likes me, and I like him. But I'm saying it's... Fu it's <laughs> likes you? It's fucking brutal. It's brutal. He's the one person in the world that definitely likes now, me. Now, when you talk this way in front of your wife, does, she, does, it, does it alarm her? How? That, that like, if I was a wife, to, to hear the father speaking so uh, ambivalently about the children. No, no, there's no ambivalence whatsoever. I fucking hate it. I'm not. I don't want to send <laughs> the wrong message that I'm. That I'm. Uh, so what would you, what would you, now, 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 now I want you. I want you to allow someone else. Dan, to, clear it up for me. He's very good. I at want you to allow someone else to talk without interrupting for a minute. All right. What would you say to him in a therapeutic setting about what he's just saying? <laughs> I would say, as you said, that, that he's um, ambivalent about parenting, but he, he probably loves his children. But again, the idea that um, when you're bored or are, are disinterested in being with your children, it's generally a sign that you experienced some pain in your childhood, that your parents were too busy or there were too many children or they were depressed or they were bored or they were disinterested. So that gets passed down. We say it's a generational transmission of, of, of fathering and mothering. And so what I would say is it sounds like he probably had a lot of pain in his childhood. That's I just I had say. a great idea for a podcast, and I'm not kidding. Sessions with Erica, 
and a series of comedians come and do one hour sessions because they will they don't care they'll, they don't they'll tell the word you know, about you almost anything put on, put on ryan cast so nobody listens to it <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that would you would you would you do something like that i would absolutely wouldn't that be a great idea dan would you be would you be able um, to speak pr- pretty i don't know that if i'd speak 100 percent openly with erica but, but, but i know that many comedians would but you would speak openly enough and you, and you know what I you'd would, probably get sucked in anyway well, it's, it's, it's a reasonable idea, sure. Has it ever been done? Probably. I think it's such a everything, good idea. Look, there's about a billion podcasts out there, so everything has been done probably more than once. It's like it's like an infinite number of monkeys slapping away at a typewriter. Well, the, <laughs> it's exactly what it is. It ha- it's this. a perfect analogy. All right, I, I, think, I think you're wrong. No, because no, no, but yeah, but yeah, a comic talking to a therapist might work. Well, because I'll, comics... I'll invest. I'm guessing comics have a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain there behind all that laughter. So. And they're outspoken. They don't, they don't mind they sharing are. that That's pain. That's right. Absolutely. And they're used to doing it publicly. Yeah. So. I kill a therapy. Yeah. I yeah. literally kill. Have, have you ever gone to couples therapy? Yeah, and I kill. Because I swear to God, the therapists always think it's hilarious, all the shit I say. Because I don't... I'll just <laughs> say whatever. Add, yeah. It's unscreened. I had a therapist one time. And you're paying him. That's the outrage. I had a therapist one time. She would, like, howl laughing. When I lived in L.A., I would go to her, and I was like, she would howl laughing. You must have infuriated your wife. No, no, she wasn't there. This is when I I would go by myself sometimes, and she was like, do you have a problem with me laughing? I go, I really can't since I'm a comedian. But I was never trying to be funny. I would just tell her, like, horrible things, and she would just laugh. She would fucking cackle. All right. This is Dan's list. Don't you think therapists should give a discount to... Particularly entertaining <laughs> patients. That's true. <laughs> Let me think that's about that. I don't call you do them. look forward to some patients and not others, right? Yeah, that's the that's reality. Human. That is the reality. You call that's them human. Clients or patients? Patients. Yes, I prefer the term patients. Mental yeah. patients. Well, just patients. <laughs> Discussing school shootings with your kids. Yeah. Explaining the news without making them afraid to go to school. That's, we need advice on that. Yeah. I pretend they don't happen with my kids. Yeah. I don't. I talk to them all the time. Can you? Okay. You, well, let her go first, and then you go. All right. I know the rules. It's amazing that for a, a family of 10, you didn't learn how to take turns. But okay, go ahead. Well, uh, the, that, was, the that, was, that, that was gratuitous. Go ahead. No, yeah. you don't weigh your turn when you want to turn. You just jump in when uh, you, you know have what? an idea. You're right. Go ahead. The misconception that we have about how to talk to our children about the violence is that we should protect them completely. And you can't protect your children completely. It's impossible to protect them from the media, from radio, from newspaper, from just people talking. Um, So the idea is to be honest with them, but be sensitive with them. Meaning um, children generally don't um, need more information than they can handle. And if you elicit questions from them about what's happening, they'll ask what they need to know. So parents have to be careful not to sort of vomit information on their children. Um, But the idea is that you do want to answer children's questions and you want to elicit questions from them. Um, And you you want to be honest with them. The one thing that children don't don't need and don't like is mystery. Children do not like mystery. Mystery is more scary to children than honesty. As long as honesty is supported with with being reassuring. So l- um, let me tell you why. Future. Let me tell you why I don't discuss it with my kids. Now, yeah. what I'm about to say is complicated by the fact that they could be hearing this stuff and probably are from other people, and that seeps in, and, and then they don't know how to sort that out. But this is the fact: humans are not able to um, put statistically improbable events into context. So that my wife sees some some poor kid chained to a radiator in Iowa. And uh, now she doesn't want to let our kids, you know, one out of 300 million people, and she's afraid to let the kids go outside. 
um, children are even less able to do that. The fact is that um, more people die, I think, from too hot tap water than children die from school shootings. That would happen in an, Rain Man on an annual basis. So. <laughs> Hot water burn baby. Yeah. So I don't think there's, and certainly from swimming pool accidents and all kinds of accidents. So I don't see that they really need to be prepared for this any more than they need to be prepared for, you know, every time you put your hand in a faucet, make sure it is all sorts of freak occurrences, which I don't go around preparing them for. And so that's why I think, you know, let's just pretend this didn't happen. But as I said at the beginning, they, they, they certainly are, like they have these, they have these drills in the school. I'm like, these drills are pointless. Mm. Didn't Chappelle say something about the drills being pointless? Was that Chappelle? Well, he was saying that, uh, well, I don't want to give away the joke. But yeah, but, but it's just like... He was addressing that. It, 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 it's not going to happen, and if it does happen, God forbid, that my, my son and daughter are not going to have the wherewithal to go by that drill and save their own lives. I just, it's well, such an... I, but I, the I, stress I, of the drill. I go think ahead. you're bringing up a good question. Do you bring up to children subject matter that they haven't brought up to you? And the answer is no. It's the same with sex, violence. You know, you're really answering children's questions as honestly as you can, as sensitively as you can, without giving them more information than they need or they can handle. Yeah, so, Noam, what do you do when they come to you and say, we heard there was a school shooting, 12 there people were go. killed. That's it. The, well, the suspect was I a white male. I swear to God, this is what I would say. Just don't worry about it even a little bit. It's not going to happen. Okay, it's, that's what it's, every school thinks. Yeah. Every school is every school is naive, and the reason it happens is because every school thinks it's not going to happen. So they're not prepared. They always prepare after the fact. I talked to my prince. Uh, uh, I don't even know how this happened, but the day before the sh uh, school shooting last year on Valentine's Day, the one in Florida. Yeah. It was we had a I had we had a, a meet or meet this meet our kids' teachers day whatever it's called. I went there. I saw the principal. I go. I go, you know, there's been a lot of, like, school shootings before they had the big, the big one. But I go, there's been a lot of school shootings. Why don't you have, like, cops at the school when the school's wide open at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day? And she goes, yeah, you mean, like, preventative measures? I go, yeah, yeah, preventative measures. <laughs> Could you imagine? I go, because as soon as there's a school shooting, oh as soon as there's a school shooting. They must love you. As soon as, there, as soon as there's a school shooting, there's 80 cops there. I go, where are the cops there? They're all at the donut store? So so why don't you have some of these cops? All you need is one cop with one cop car at the main door of the school when 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 the kids are going to school, when it, when it just every door is open. And she goes, yeah, that's a good idea. Then the next day, it's the sh it's a, val a Valentine's Day shooting in Florida, and I'm like, "Am I psychic? Like what?" And the but the principal must have thought, "Like what the fuck does he know? What what is what does this guy even know?" But then after that, I was like militant with them, like making sure the doors were closed. And then at one point, I was check. I was like, I dropped my kids off. I went to the like get something to eat. I came back to check to see if the door was locked, the school, and it, it wasn't. So they go, "Sir." Uh, don't don't be don't be uh, trying to open the door. We're gonna call the police. I go. That's what I want. I want the police here. <laughs> so they always think if you're if you're crazy, you can get away with murder because they're, they're what there's a public school. What are they gonna do? I'm not. All I do is open, so I can get arrested for opening the door. Arrest me. What did I do? So my point is, every school thinks it's not gonna happen. It's naive. Whatever the whatever the numbers are. What what are the what are the odds that Louis C.K. sells out Madison Square Garden six times? It's infinitesimal. What if that's the right word? So would you be like, this can't happen? Of course it can happen. Six shows. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of 
course it's gonna happen. You're being naive. Probability. It's just. It's just. It's losers. Fucking math. Yes, but it's like this is what. Okay. Okay, Kevin. You know. Don't have me on. If you can't handle the truth. What happens? Somebody wins a lottery ticket every week. And yeah, now that's you, losing and now, the lottery. That's idiots, losing. A bunch of idiots go out and think that they can win the lottery, so they start buying tickets. You're not going to win the lottery. Okay, I tell. There's I, 300 I, million so, people in this country. I was trying so, to do a bit where, I, I, where let me just finish. That's yeah. all I have to say. Then yeah. I'll leave. No, don't leave. No, yeah. no. So just no, shut I said, up for a I said, yeah. I said, in this country, yeah. since the the politicians are cowards and they won't do anything, if your family member gets shot, it's like you. They should give you a million dollars. Like. It's the it's just the equivalent of the lottery. Like, how do you win the lottery in California? You win three hundred fifty million. Just good luck. So this is bad luck. So pay the people. If the if the we have the money. So if your family member gets shot, you get five million dollars. Problem solved. Because then you won't care if someone gets and, shot. And there's no incentive to anybody shooting people. For, uh, anyway, go ahead. Oh, what, that's what, a moral what, hazard. So <laughs> so the issue isn't that you. Um, I don't know your credentials, so I'm just uh, giving you the benefit of the doubt. That's okay. Like, I don't know what your credits. I've been on the evening at the Improv. I've been on Letterman a couple of times. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm just going on hearsay that you're qualified. i got to say one thing. There is nobody funnier than Kevin Brennan. No, I, I mean, David tells funnier. Ask him. <laughs> go, go ahead, Erica. So the idea of reassuring your kids is not a bad idea, but the idea is you don't want to reassure them before you've answered the questions. And so, I, you know, if somebody comes to you and they say, I'm scared, and you say, it'll be okay, it's fine. It doesn't make them feel fine, it makes them feel unheard, and it makes them feel more scared. But if you listen to them, and you answer their questions, and then you say, you know, but the chances are really slim, and it will be okay. But that's that should be at the end, not at the beginning. Yeah, I, w- it, I would because, definitely answer yeah, the question. Because if it's at the beginning, then it shuts down the communication, and it also shuts down their expression of feeling. So as much as you want to reassure your children... You need to hear them first, and you need to answer their questions. And that's a very different approach than most of America is talking about um, right now, which is, you know, protect, protect, protect. The thing is, you can protect your children from some of it, but you cannot protect your children from all of it. It is too pervasive in our society right now. Talking about guns? Violence in the schools. You know what this reminds me of for some reason? I don't know if the story will translate. So the day after 9-11... Or a few days after 9-11. Is that when you get busted in Washington? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My waitresses <laughs> were yeah, petrified at Cafe Wad at the time. They were petrified to come to work. Like, everybody was just expecting another terrorist attack. And I made fun of them. I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like, Bin Laden is like, U.S. call, check. World Trade Center, Check. Cafe Watt. Like, like, what? Why do? You, but, but. Well, this you is, know, my husband says you never see, you never, you never can uh, see a grizzly bear when you're looking for one. So the idea is right after he's these a wise incidents. Man. Yeah. So right <laughs> after, you see, right after these incidents, like then they'll put police at the door of schools. But as soon as it dies down, then the police go away, and that's when the grizzly bear comes. Not when, not right after the incidents when they put the police at the doors. The point is that you'd have to have police there all the time. And it's unlikely to happen right after it's happened. It's going to happen when nobody's looking. Here's a shout-out to Gnome. Uh, I've said it's on my podcast, Misery Loves Company, available on iTunes. I've said it's on my podcast where I say what you do is smart because, you know, when there's like a... a like know a, this is backhanded, but go ahead. No, like when they had the, the guy at the at the gay club in, in Orlando. I said I, whenever Pumps. there's something like that, I, I, I do get nervous going to a, a nightclub. Where you I'm, should be nervous at any club you're yeah, going to. Where yeah, where I'm trapped. I might say the wrong thing. The stuff you say. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I might get. I, I, I do feel a little something. But yeah. I've said I said no, I'm smart because he puts big black men at the door. And I said even after like even at the I said they should have big black guys at the airport even because even terrorists are are intimidated by a big black man. 
Silence. Well, I don't know if that, that's true or not. Way, no, it's, and I should, they should be at the school. I'm not being racist. I'm just being like, no, they, you want to harness racism huh? to protect but, us. But, or but, whatever. <laughs> but, Kevin, the one thing about putting police <laughs> at all the schools is, is then they can just say, okay, we'll get them when they go to the mall or when they go to right, but I, anywhere I don't care, else. I, I, my, I, I go to the mall with my kids. They don't go to the mall. At school, it's, I'm, it's, I'm it's at... It's really okay, Kevin. We, you, we, like, we, at, we take cow dung and we make like energy from it. Like We can harness something bad to make something good. I'm saying with the, at the right. mall, yeah. I'll be at the mall with them. At school, I'm totally at the mercy of the competency or incompetency of, of the school administration. So... So it's like, and the, and the reason I think they go to schools is because it makes such a, it's it's so horrend, uh, so horrendous. Like the thing in us in uh, Connecticut was so horrendous that like in the back in the day they used to shoot uh, politicians, but they don't because they don't you can't get to a politician anymore. So they so they shoot kids these crazy or they shoot John Lennon. You can't do that anymore because there's so much protection. So now they go after school because it's such a spectacle. It's so horrific. And then, of course, two weeks later, people forget about it because politicians are cowards. That's really what it comes down to. Politicians are cowards because nobody needs a fucking assault weapon for, for any reason. Especially and they go, it's a mental health issue. It's, so, the, so the guys who sell guns are supposed to be like, are you crazy? And the guy's like, not at all. <laughs> Okay, I'll sell you a gun. They're businessmen. Did somebody it's like, you it's like, down for a gun, Kevin? Yeah, it's like you say, it's like you asking people before they order the chicken kebab. Are you nuts? And they go, no. Okay, you can have a kebab. So they, it's not their job. So mental health is a, is a cop-out. Politicians are cowards. All right, can we talk about something else? Hey, Keith. Uh, Dan, you want, you want to ask your next questions? We're almost well, which finished. one do you like? Which, I like the, the last Tra two. All right, uh, the trans kids. You know, now all these kids are trans now. <laughs> You're talking well, about the kids who take the bus? <laughs> <laughs> the trans kids, right? And, uh, you know, so you got three, four-year-olds saying, well, I, I was born a male, but I'm a female. And, the, <laughs> and some of the parents are saying, okay, you, you can be a female. So, I mean, at what age is a kid too young to say that he's another gender? Well, it's not too young to say he's another gender. The, the question today is, when should you do something about it? And I think what's happened is there's a push to actually help these kids physically um, with hormones and, you know, hormone replacement therapy and doing the surgery very early. And I disagree with that because there's a certain developmental line in children when um, things like gender and sexuality are still very fluid. And you really don't want to make permanent changes before before you've let that developmental line play out. But there is there is there a case where it's so obvious that... You know, it's oh, so over the top that that this this boy that was born a boy is is actually a girl. That there's really little doubting it, even even if even if the child is four or five. You still don't want to make permanent changes until they've been allowed to sort of go through that developmental process, because a lot changes in that developmental process, and you don't know where it's going to go, even but if you think it. The one caveat there is is if you don't hit him with hormones before puberty then they're never really going to be the woman or the man, especially from the male to female. If you don't get those hormones in before puberty, it's too late to be a feminine-looking female. But I got them late. But, but what, we're not, what we're not talking about, we're not talking about... So we about, have to balance that consideration. We're not talking about the permanency of the changes. And when you make these permanent changes at such an early age... So now we know that adolescence starts at 9 and ends at 25, and that's when the brain development stops. So if you make those changes too early and they're permanent, 
the degree of depression and suicidal ideation in those kids. There's, what we don't talk about is the amount of suicide when those kids realize that they made permanent changes to their body that are not reparable. Um, there's, there's, so, there's yeah. I understand that, but, but, but what about the fact that if they really are legitimately transgender and they go through male puberty, game over. They got big shoulders. It's not game over, but the idea is that, again, my feeling as a clinician is that unless you let that developmental line play out, you don't know which way it's going to go. And you don't want to make permanent changes to a child's body before they've actually emotionally developed fully. Okay, I, so, say, it's, I say it's a balancing act. Uh, you no, say no. no. There's, yeah. another, there's, another, there's another aspect to it which I haven't heard discussed, which is, and what made me think of this is that um, a lot of doctors are always like handing out Viagra. And my friend who's a doctor said to me, he says, I don't know why they do that. Every drug has side effects. Every drug has risks. And if somebody doesn't have, it's just like take it for fun. It's, it doesn't seem to um, comply with the, the oath of a doctor. So surgery has risks. Great risks. Uh, great risks. And the question is, you know, if you, if you need a kidney transplant, you need a kidney transplant. Have we decided that sex change, to, to not have a sex change, is such a medical condition that it warrants t that taking this kind of big risk with somebody's life and, and that it can come out wrong? Um, and I don't think that's ever weighed. You know, do, well, no, do they, no harm. Again, I, but they tell the, the can you let her? Why you yeah. do that all the time? Let well, her. The parts cut. of the brain that are because I'm the youngest child. The parts <laughs> of the brain that are about impulse control and decision making and judgment. Um, those parts of the brain don't fully develop until you're 25. And so when you're making such major life, it's why you really can't trust anyone under 25 to make major life decisions because... Is that why Hertz Renicar says you can't rent... rent that's exactly yeah. why they say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you really want to be careful in imbuing uh, children, and I'm saying children under the age of 25, because they're really still adolescents under 25. Um, with that kind of decision making, um, yeah, that's what I'm going to say about it. So we had a. But, but if somebody is so distressed, so uh, so you can support I mean, a child. You can support a child to be whoever they are, and um, you can even give a child some hormones to delay some of the process. But to actually do the surgery before they before they have a real sense of the permanency. The other thing that children have is they live very much in the present. So they don't really connect their present actions to consequences. You don't do that fully until your prefrontal cortex is, is fixed. And that's at around 25. So you really have no sense of, that's why kids do stupid things. That's why you're a teenager. How old are your kids? Yeah, 11 and seven. Okay, so you know, you're maybe 11 is just the beginning of doing really stupid things. He's dumb between, as fuck. Okay, between, <laughs> between 11, I'm just joking. I'm just trying to be between a dick. 11 and 25, you do really, I mean, right? We all did really stupid oh, things. I did. And the reason we do stupid things. I got into things, comedy at 23. Right, well. <laughs> that was dumb. The reason we do stupid things is because we, we cannot yet connect future-oriented consequences with what we're doing. So that's the problem. So yeah. last week on another podcast I there was a there was a therapist, I can't remember her name, uh, and she said something that, that I was uh, really surprised at, and I, I, I made a note that I wanted to ask you about it. So it was the story of Mark Halperin, who is this... Um, I know him. So he was this uh, TV journalist who got uh, in trouble for... Uh, a Me Too guy. And now he just 
coming back now with a book that's come out and there's a lot of controversy. And his story was as follows, that uh, he was doing disgusting things, pressing himself with an erect penis against people he worked with and uh, things of that nature while at ABC. Apparently, no one ever made a complaint to HR, but this was going on. He'd miss that. Then apparently he got a hold of himself and sought therapy stopped this behavior, there's been no mm -hmm. accusation since, went to NBC, had like a 10-year career, 12-year career, and then these things from ABC came back, and he had, uh, and, and now, and he was, he was fired, and now that his book is coming out, people are upset and saying, no, no, he should never be allowed to come back. So I had a therapist on, and she said, no, yeah, that's right, he sh I don't care what happens to him, he should never be allowed to come back. I said, but you're a therapist. Like, are you saying that if somebody came to you, like Mark Halpern, and said, look, I've been doing all these things, and I want to stop doing these things, you would tell them, I'm not the doctor for you. Go somewhere else, because I don't believe you can be helped, or I don't believe you deserve being helped. She said, yes. I would tell, I, I wouldn't want to see a patient like that. Is that? It's unforgiving, but it's also not clinically correct. It's not, um, right? Yeah. Um, no, it's not. And, and I think the idea is, I guess it reminds me a little of, maybe it shouldn't, but the Louis C.K. issue, too, that, that we've talked about, you and I. Um, the, the, for, the idea of forgiveness, how we've become a society that basically, I mean, I guess there are some unforgivable things, um, but that we become a society that really doesn't let people rehabilitate, doesn't let people have contrition, doesn't let, there's no forgiveness. And, um, Especially certain for certain infractions, yeah. we don't want any rehabilitation. Yeah, so that sounds to me as though that therapist had some personal ish, personal vendetta around that particular issue. You know, when you go to do jury duty, they say, have you ever been mugged? You know, it's a mugging case. Have you ever been robbed? Have you, you know, yeah. it may be that she had some kind of personal issue that, that was coming through. We call it counter-transference. When when our own personal issues enter into clinical situations. Yeah, we all need to remember that our therapists have problems too. Yeah, but they're supposed to control What's them. What's your problem? They're supposed to control them. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, uh, Kevin, I assume you're convinced that this woman is legitimate. She used the word counter-transference. Yeah, that, well, that's so, that won me over. So did you, see Chappelle, did you see Chappelle's special, the latest Chappelle special? I haven't seen the latest have, one. Have no. you seen it? No, all I saw was a juicy Smollett. Smollett. Yeah. However you pronounce it, Smollett, Juicy yeah. Smollett, the yeah. French actor. So you haven't seen it? Do no, you I don't watch it? comedy. I should watch it. Okay. Well, I don't it. watch comedy. I, you, I, you have to text me when those I, things are on. Normally I don't watch on comedy Netflix. either, but it's such a big uh, talking point in the comedy community uh, that I did watch it. And? Well, we discussed it last week. I enjoyed it. You yeah. know, I enjoyed it. I, I'm not going to go. He's a very talented man. He beat me in Star Search, four yeah. to three. Yeah, I remember. He uh, no, he says a lot of. I mean, he says a lot of very, very, very controversial things. Not the least of which that he thinks Michael Jackson's victims or alleged victims are full of shit. Things or does he use those words? I don't know if he says full of shit, but he. I don't believe he says those. they were not. Uh, here's the point, Noam. Here's the point I'd like to make about that. Yeah, he's as big as these people, so he can say it and he can handle the pushback. Because if he wasn't that big, he would be. He would be brutalized. He would be. He would be savage. They would like. They would try to, like, the, the, these women groups or whatever, all these groups would go after him viciously. But he's too big. He's, like, untouchable at this point. It just makes him bigger. So he's, he's basically, like, the guy 
who has to fight the fight because he's so good. You know what I mean? He has to be like Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali standing up against the U.S. government saying, I'm not going to fight the in Vietnam because... It had to be it had to be Ali because anybody else any other boxer does it they'll just be like who the, who the fuck are you so when Chappelle does it they, they everyone goes oh maybe he's got a point if if he wasn't this big he they would he would just be he would be ridicule it would just be laughable I mean in a bad way you know well I kind of agree they would with dismiss you. him totally I, I I don't agree that Michael I think I'm I think Michael Jackson's uh, victims are very, very convincing. Uh, I, I can't. Yeah, but again, he's going for the laugh. Right. No, no, no. He's trying to he setting it, it up. But that's know? not the point. And I think your Muhammad Ali uh, analogy is actually pretty good. The point to me is that he's saying whatever he wants. Right. Which is what he people has, need has, to be able to do, including people gigantic, like to which, his gigantic, which you can only do with comedy. No, but he has gigantic credibility because, and because he's of so who beloved. he is. He's getting away with it. Where a lot, of, you wouldn't, you could say exactly the same I can't thing. Even, I can't even walk up on stage. I mean, people hiss at me before I even say a word. Groups of white women, because I look like their boss or something. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I wish I was kidding. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I think that comedy still is free because of satire, because of the idea of, like, Saturday Night Live, it gets away with, you know, all kinds of political satire that you... Uh, it's, it's not illegal. Well, it's, uh, not question. Illegal. Except, no, no, it's not illegal. Except what's it's interesting, he's getting issue. killed on Twitter. He's getting killed in the media. He's getting killed on Rotten Tomatoes. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, he had like a 0% critics rating. No, there was sales. And a 99% really? audience 30, rating. I saw something today, 33 and 99. So it went up to 33. It was 0 for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 just how fascinating it is that that the and uh, Hannah Gatsby is the opposite. Like the Rotten Tomatoes is like almost a hundred, and uh, People Meter was like fifty percent. So yeah. so this is once again that the elite Twitter whatever the most uh, is such a bad barometer of what people are actually feeling, and and that's not because ninety nine percent. Agree with him that Michael Jack, that Safe Chuck, and the other guy were lying. He's a great comic. If he wasn't a great comic, he wouldn't get away with it. He's a great comic. He's the maybe the best comic of all time. I'm not saying that because he beat me in Star Search. I think he's. <laughs> I think he. I saw him. If you had to lose, I saw him at 18 at the Boston Comedy Club. I'm like, this guy is fucking great. He grew up on stage. He's fucking great. So you know, people say, oh, Chris Rock. You know, I'm like. Chris Rock, even when I saw the juicy small eye, I'm like, it's fucking genius. Starting a joke like that is so fucking great because it, it just seems like it's he's not taking it seriously. He doesn't take himself seriously. He's mispronouncing a name. He's fucking, he's great. He's like the, he might be the best comic of all time. Isn't this interesting because Kevin is so, I, I, I agree with you. But if I had to, I've never, I've never, but if I've I never to, moved away from that opinion ever. I've never I, said Chappelle is the, like the best comic I've ever seen. But if seen. I wanted to disagree with him, it'd be so easy to say what a vested interest you have in that opinion because yeah, he beat you on Star Search, and he's got a really good uh, mind, obviously, and he's a great performer. Yeah, he's you got know? both. It's so, again, if he wasn't this good, he wouldn't get away with it. You know, he just wouldn't. But it does feel good, doesn't it, to know that the guy responsible for basically two things that really bug you, your brother's success and losing in Star Search. Yeah, I can't get over the Star Search. I, sometimes I just wake up in a cold sweat. <laughs> At least it you can blame a, it on that Chappelle's the greatest ever. It was a long wait. It was a long wait when we were waiting for the judges to come, come back with the numbers because I already knew I lost. It's just a matter of how much I lost by is this available on, on YouTube? No, but me, us standing there together is available. There's a screenshot of him getting four stars and me three stars. Uh, no, I knew he was going to win because it, uh, it is like a little anecdote. But I, we were, they taped it in Orlando. I had already won. 
So Chappelle shows up. I know I'm going to lose because Chappelle's great. And it's all it's all Disney World. So it's all kids in the audience. I've already seen, I've already done one show there. So I know he's going to win. Barry Katz is his manager. They ask him, what's the, what's the introduction for Chappelle? And Barry goes, he's the youngest comedian in Star Search history. I'm going, Barry, he's already going to win. Don't, it's just... It's just, it's a fucking joke, you know? So they said to me, what do you want for your intro? And this is when uh, Ed McMahon was the host. I said, uh, say I'm, uh, I'm from Philadelphia and I have two weeks to live. And then... <laughs> <laughs> they Come on, Dan, why can't you do that? <laughs> they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They, I, re- I pitched it, but they wouldn't go for it. Oh, Kevin, you're so funny. I, no, I, I knew I, they were, I knew I was going to lose. I mean, Chappelle right. was magical. Right. And another thing, there's a the last thing I'll say okay. about Chappelle. <laughs> Chappelle showed up to Disney World. <laughs> Chappelle showed up to the Disney World, to the studio where we were all taping. It was like a it was like a run through the day before, and there was all these kids were gravitating towards him. So I asked Barry, I go, how do they how do they know him? He goes, they don't. They just they just he has like an aura, like he's a uh, gift, like Muhammad Ali just would walk to villages and they would all just know he was like. Like special, so so they they were all kids, and he hadn't been on any TV shows at that point. So it was it's, a, it's just one of those scenarios. They just, did they just know to run away from you? Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was I was a grand champion from the day before. They still didn't care. All right, Eric. Oh, I hope that you learned a valuable lesson, Noam. Yeah, that things can be interesting that don't involve Asians not getting accepted to Harvard. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that implies, well, but it's funny. It's an inside joke it's because Noam, every week he talks Let's about... Let's talk about that, Erica. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Erica, so what, before we go, what, uh, what, issue, what are hot issues for you uh, in, in the professional world of a, of a psychotherapist these days? What other uh, than the, I mean, anxiety. anxiety. Anxiety and depression in mostly adolescents and young adults. Well, have you seen uh, Gary Goleman's uh, special, The Great Depression? No. Well, he. It's not out yet. Oh, it's not out. I thought it was out. October fifth. I can't wait. So, so is he allowed to beat me up? By the way, I never asked you. Is he allowed? No, you to did put, ask me. What you said was. Is he allowed to put his hands on me? You said, I'm, I didn't want to talk about this because I know you're going to take the other Jew's side. That's no, what I, didn't, you said I didn't worry <laughs> that way. Exactly I said that Jew, said. I said the Jewish mafia will step up, <laughs> and it will be decided, as it should be. You said I'll take the Jew's side, but you weren't <laughs> wrong. Um, <laughs> but is he allowed to touch me? Like if he's he sees allowed, me on the street, he's not allowed to on the street, can he touch me? Or can, yes, just on the, in the club? On the, on the street, you do it. You guys are. It's but in, the, in the, on your properties, he can't touch can we, me. Can we just let that go? <laughs> I can't. Uh, yeah, you let things go. So, so what, what? How do we handle anxiety? Is there is any like? Go ahead. Well, so the idea is we're putting too much pressure on kids today. Um, some of it's implicit, and some of it's explicit, and. Um, you know, that's causing breakdowns in, in younger and younger kids. But, but we know that, that it's a problem and it's, it's not going away. Uh, meaning the idea of, um, you know, at a very young age, having to think about their future when they're not supposed to be future oriented, when they're supposed to play and they're supposed to be very present oriented. Um, so, yeah, we basically created a world for, for kids and for adolescents that they really can't live in. I, you know, it was with, I wonder if people were happier back in like the day when... There was no social mobility. So you were born a peasant. Yes. And it sucked. But yes. guess what? You're going to be a peasant well, and don't no worry pressure. about it. Yeah. There was no pressure. Yeah. And you're like and you're going to die of of, of uh, the plague at 30, but at least you knew it. Well, you didn't have as many you choices. You didn't have to worry about yeah. am I going to be as You know, everybody's trying to be the coolest, have the most followers on Instagram or everybody wants to there's so much pain. Pain is desire. I believe it was uh, Buddha that said that. If you, if you the, could, the striving is painful. Yeah, yeah, if, and it, the choices—too many choices—are painful. If yeah. you could 
make one change to the world that would save the most lives in mass shootings, including gun control or you know uh, better families? What 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 would it be? Where where is the real center of gravity on that? Get rid of daycare. Give mothers the ability to really nurture their children in the first three years, and get fathers back in the home. This is all the most. These are the most important things. Yeah. Well, why why did you get rid of daycare? The early years are the the years that are developmental, that are the most critical for brain development for children, for emotional security, and for things like regulation of aggression. Meaning these boys, and the profile is always the same, right? I mean, this this last shooting was a slightly older version, but as I said, adolescence we know goes till 25, maybe even 30. So this was an older person. It was what, like in Texas, in, in El Paso? Yeah, it was a 30-something-year-old. But for the most part, the profile is about the same. They're about 19 to 25-year-old, usually, usually, right? usually white male, but male. Um, and the idea is that they usually don't have fathers. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal, I write for the journal, and there was a piece that I didn't write about um, how most of these boys that have done these shootings don't have fathers. Yeah. They're fatherless. And uh, they're Because the ba- father left? Or they're divorced? They're, families are divorced. They're divorced. They, they, they come from single mother families. The fathers are not involved or the fathers are kind of AWOL. But the idea is that they're fatherless and often motherless, too, because the mothers are stressed, have to work. So you asked me why, why daycare. I mean, at the beginning of this show, I talked about why daycare is not good for children. But the idea is that in the first three years, you really need as much as possible for your emotional security and your ability to regulate your emotions going forward in life. You need to have your primary caretaker, your mother, or your primary love object be your protector from stress and not separate from her to a great degree in those first three years, can, or if it's the father. Can the, the experience of being one of ten be the same, uh, <laughs> have the same result? Of, no, that, there's it's lots very, of, yeah. it's, it's a so, lot of emotional neglect. Well, so, yeah. Kevin brought up an interesting The reason I agree with you, yeah. and be, the reason, listen, I am not a Second Amendment guy. I'm very happy for any gun control they want to pass. But it always occurs to me that you can't um, prove a change by pointing to a constant. This is what Coleman says. So the fact is that in New York City, gun deaths went from like 2,500 a year to like 300 a year with no change in gun laws. You know, like eight, 900 percent. And mass shootings are going up, again, with no increase in guns. So to to say that the gun laws are the key to impacting this in either direction doesn't really make sense to me. If, if you could... But aren't the you, gun laws you, super strict in New York City? I, no, I, but that's my point. They always were. Yet, we had twenty, almost 3,000, I think. Well, that was the high, crack. In, that was crack. In, whatever it was, it wasn't... They didn't stop it by changing access to guns. And on, this, on the flip side, it hasn't increased... Because they've given more access to guns. Something is changing in the people themselves and their desire to do these things. So I'm going to say that the mental health crisis is not going anywhere anytime soon. And as lucky much as you. we... Right. right. Lucky <laughs> for me, right? I'd be out of a job. Um, but but the, social uh, media is bad for mental health, right? It is bad for mental health. And that's um, just that's not going to go away. No, it's not going away. So the mental health crisis is not going away. So you'd say, what's a perfect storm for violence? A mental health crisis, particularly in young people who have no control over their impulses 
uh, and don't really make the connection to the consequences of their actions and have no good judgment yet, you, you, you take that with a mentally ill teenager and then you have easy access to guns. So a perfect storm is easy access to guns and a rise in, the, in mental health issues. The mental health issues aren't going anywhere. We can do something about the, the guns. In my opinion, and that's why I write these books, we can do something about mental health, but it's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's a perfect storm. We cannot ignore the gun issue as well. I think yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not Kevin said it well. You, you, have to, you have to hit it on both targets. You can't just go for one. You have to think about mental health, but you really have to think about guns too. You have to think about both. Plus, most, most places, most places uh, you can't even, if the guy has mental health issues, you, you don't even know because they, they, they have client uh, privilege, right? Client uh, well, therapist privilege. So you right. can't even out somebody if they have mental problems, right? So, Unless they say, I'm going to kill you or specifically going to kill somebody. Well, what's happened in this country is that because of civil rights, which are a good thing, we have a lot of civil rights in this country. Um, we haven't been allowed to institutionalize or even report people um, who have mental health issues. We're not allowed to take homeless people off the street unless they consent. We're not allowed to. Hospi- what would you do We're not with allowed to people? hospitalize. You're not allowed to hospitalize someone who is a risk to themselves with suicide unless they actually. Are, unless they actually do something. Yeah. I mean, we really have gone to the, we've gotten to the point in this country where civil rights override the security of society, but also personal, people's security. But um, that's also because partly we realize we can't be trusted to incarcerate these people humanely. I mean, you remember all the abuses. Well, that came from the Victorian time. In Victorian times, people were hospitalized um, for illegitimate reasons. Women. No, I mean legitimate people when they're hospitalized. They're they're treated terribly and and, and they can't speak up for themselves. And, you know, it's just... I think the solution is give homeless guns and then that way... They'll pass some gun laws when when the homeless start just start shooting everybody. Sign me up to vote for any gun law there is, and also let me say I I very very skeptical that they will have any real effect. I think when somebody gets it in their mind that they want to go shoot up the school, there's 300 million guns in the country already. Yeah, but there's t- an internet, there's a dark web. Yeah, but it's all what else it's have always, we banned successfully? It's always where the guns are in states that are more uh, promiscuous. More, they are more prevalent, yeah, and so more accessible. It, yeah. I guess promiscuous isn't the right word, yeah. but anyway, it's like well, where... We no, but it, promiscuous is the right word because guns are sexy to a teenager. Yeah, so they were any state the where right they word. have no laws, like Texas, Florida, they have no laws, and it's just, it's it's ridiculous. I, I mean, who, ne- who needs a machine gun? Who needs a military-grade machine sick. gun? It's sick. It's sick. I think, I think, Other listen, than the military. I think it's like, it, eventually it becomes like these things like, you know, everybody thought homosexuality was bad 30 years ago. Uh, pot was ridiculous. So I think uh, as the country gets, the, the younger people get more mature and take over the country, eventually they'll be like, the guns is stupid. Like, even when these kids in Florida... We're, 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 you know, and they're like, and Louie had that bit where, like, they shouldn't, it was a dumb bit, you know. But anyway, I'm like, you know, the kids, like, so so when you watch a Vietnam show, the guys who were in Vietnam, they shouldn't have an opinion about what the fuck happened in Vietnam. It's the same with these these kids who were at, in that Florida shooting should absolutely be stepping up and going, guns are horrible, as opposed to, like, oh, no, they, they're just kids. They shouldn't, they were there. They were fucking there. And, they're, and what you're saying is probably true about 25, but, like, if you're 18... 
and you can find them in Vietnam. You have pretty good memory of what. So if you're at a school shooting, you remember what happened. You don't. You don't have to be like, well, you're not 25. You don't who, know what's happening. Who knew Kevin about. was so empathetic and soft-hearted? I've never seen this side no, I of just you. Take, I just take reason, and I got to protect my kids. I got to feed my family. So I got to protect. My only job now is feeding my family and protecting my family. I don't give a fuck about you, no. Uh, Nanam and I care about it a little bit. You, you seem like a nice lady, and of course, I'm just joking. Of course, I'm, you have nice tits. No, <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm saying like I'm saying. I, I, I I'm know, saying I I, I, my job is to protect my kids. So whatever it is, I got to do. That's what I'm gonna do. So do I care about like you know statistics? I just care my kids are safe. I told my kids if you hear firecrackers going off and it's not July 4th, stay in your classroom. Don't leave. But, but listen, right. what we're not addressing is that there's a kind of paranoia, like a low-level paranoia in this country that anyone would need a machine gun. I mean, the only reason you would need a machine gun is to rise up against the government because you think the government will rise up against you. Which is crazy. So that Which is, is laughable. That is already a low level of mental illness because it's a kind of paranoia that is at the foundation of why people need to have machine guns if they're not in the military. Yeah, you're going to outgun the government? Well, that's, it's laughable. that is the point. I mean, there's one thing to say that I'm a hunter, and I'm a sustenance hunter, and I need a gun to shoot my deer to feed my family. There's another thing to say that you need a machine gun. The only reason you would need a machine gun is to protect yourself from a government well, and rise up against that government well, because they'll rise up against you. Machine guns are more or less... Illegal, but but I get what you're saying. You're yeah, saying. They're, they're, it's uh, paranoia. No, it's just uh, it's just words. It's, I, and we're talking about AR-15s. Anything that you that can, can spray bullets. Yeah, that you can kill a lot of people quickly. They they're not necessary. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. I do. I don't dismiss entirely the notion that an armed citizenry can be a check against a tyrannical government. Oh come on. Of course, you say what David Koresh did. They, it's laughable. They just, they just, take, they do whatever they want. It was written. They made one mistake. The, the founding fathers made one mistake, and that was it. Everything else was genius. You can look at all the things they did. Genius. The checks and balances. Fucking genius. Well, but, and the separation of church and state. But the Second Amendment was just something they had to have. They were, they were fighting against everybody then, like bears and British, and they needed you. They had the government had to say. But they would assume that we would fix it if it got out of control. And they couldn't anticipate AR-15 no, any no, more no. than they can anticipate anything. I, I want to be the cell phone. I, you can't. You can't anticipate I, I, there, things. There is a mistake. There is a flaw there. Forgive me for pointing it out. The, the Supreme Court has not ruled that you can't ban AR-15s. As a matter of fact, they were banned at one time. The country doesn't want to ban them. Which is no, not, the country the, does. The, the, Supreme, the politicians no. are afraid. The Supreme NRA. Court. No, they, they. No, the Supreme Court ruled that they can ban certain, like handguns and things like this. There, there is a certain basic level of arms you're. They feel you're entitled to. But assault weapons were banned under Clinton, and then it, it lapsed, lapsed, and it hasn't uh, been because in what, 1994 and, and, and a state certainly has the right to ban them. But, but in, lose, in Texas, lose. they don't want to ban them. Okay, that's fine. I'm saying, I'm saying they're afraid. That. Politicians are afraid because in 1994, they tried to get the assault ban, and the Speaker of the House lost. Tom Foley lost, and ever since then, they're all scared. They're no, all no, afraid no, no, they're no. going to lose. Because the politician's number one job is to get reelected. Kevin, that's it. In, this, in other states, there was a culture which is drastically different from ours. And that culture, they love their guns. That's just the truth. 
we might, like, we rural, might think it's rural, ridiculous. And they error is fine. And, have a gun. Right, but and they don't want to make them illegal. And it's not the Second Amendment doesn't prevent it. They don't want them illegal. So okay. they can they can they can cancel the Second Amendment. You're still gonna have assault weapons. Yeah, in the but state. the fact that it's yeah. in the Constitution is yes. is it is it gives them huge protection, just like abortion gives them huge protection right. because it's it's a I, law. I'm just clarifying something. But you But I, I'm saying when yeah. they always say the Second Amendment because they know push comes to shove, they're gonna win. They do say Second Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, yes. The, the, the NRA does pretend that these are Second Amendment rights, but the fact is that's not accurate according to the law. Assault weapons are not protected by the Second Amendment. Just well, according to the current uh, constitutional interpretation well, of that's the Supreme what Court I said, about, about any About any yeah. comment about the but, Constitution. But are, yes, that's yeah. true. If it but wasn't in the Constitution, we wouldn't be having this fight. They would just be eliminated. They were restricted. I don't them. know. This country came up with guns and pioneers and, and cowboys. Well, militia. And it came up with militia. The idea that you could form a militia to fight an unjust government. And the idea is at that point there wasn't enough trust yeah. to believe and that the government would be. But look, a we have a large section, segment of the population on the left that we thinks Trump is literally Hitler. If I thought Trump was literally Hitler, I'd want a gun. Well, and those are the same people that say we shouldn't have guns. Yeah, but, those <laughs> are the, but, but it's the people who love Trump who, who want the guns, the not people the people who think right. he's Hitler. It seems like it's, it's the people, who, the, the people who think he's Hitler. Did I say mental illness is pervasive? <laughs> the people who think he's pervasive. literally Hitler are on the left, but those people don't want guns. That's, it seems that's a contradiction to me. If I thought Hitler was in power, yeah, the people on the left, they, I would want a gun. Yeah, but reasonable people realize now the government can do whatever the fuck they want, well, you know and you're not going to win against the government. You might win against your neighbor, but you're not going to win against the government. Dan does have actually an interesting point there. With so many people were sure that Trump was going to become a despot, like that, like that our liberty was done. And if they really believed what they said, you'd think they would actually. Yeah. Well, let's hold off on the gun control. They like, I don't think they ever really believed that about Trump. They believe he's because they knew a it's monster. a great country. They knew it's a great constitution. Yeah. Like it's he's not a, he can't become the king. There's separation of powers. Well, yeah, you're right. Okay, Erica, you know you're my favorite ever, and and, and thank you for coming again. Uh, thank you, you can for buy Erica's. I don't want to get the title wrong. Where's it? You can buy Erica's book, Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. It's a very, very good and important book. What's your last name again? Komisar. Are you on Twitter? I am. Oh, what? K-O-M-I-S-A-R. No, what's your Twitter name? Erica Komisar CSW. Okay. And she writes for the Wall Street Journal with uh, some regularity. And, oh, we didn't talk about it. Damn it. About, about just coming back from, what, uh, um, what country was it? Well, I came back well, from Africa. we don't have time, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, from Africa. You just said we yeah. have to go. Where in Africa? Uh, I was in Rwanda and Uganda because Rwanda. I was observing mothers and babies and how, um, what they call, they have the maternal economy in those countries where mothers can still work and bring in money to their families, but by taking their children with them and not leaving them behind. So just... just very quickly to say, so, you know, she's been to India and Rwanda and Uganda, and she's found that uh, motherhood and, and parenting was much gentler there and much more healthy for, and you, and you have a column coming out about that. In a week or two. In a yeah. week, so look for it in yeah. the Wall Street Journal. Damn it, I wanted to talk about that. Okay, thank no, you very much, we, everybody. Can I do my plug? Yeah, please. They're, they're having a roast for me October 1st at the Stand Comedy Club. Sorry. Why at the Stand? Because you guys, you guys had no dates available. For a Kevin Brennan roast? Yeah, that's what Liz said. Ask Liz. Oh, you she's know. in big trouble. Yeah, fire her, finally. <laughs> I would have canceled the show for that. <laughs> Cancel what show? Any show. For a Kevin Brennan roast? Liz said, Liz said this is, you know, the stand was much more amenable to my situation. All right. Okay. October 1st. You'll, you'll bounce back. Your club's going to be fine. <laughs>
<laughs> October 1st, we just we just booked Chip Chipperson to be on a rose, so it's going to be hilarious. Okay, I got to go. Anything else? Well, just um, if you have comments about the podcast, uh, it's podcast at comedyseller.com. And follow us on Instagram at, at live from the table. Okay, good night. Well,